today's episode. It also takes empathy, I think, to write the uh, the evil person in the story. Just as much as it takes empathy to write the, the nice person. It might be easy to find that empathy. But to me, empathy is understanding um, the way a character works. I mean, you can have empathy. In order to write Hannibal Lecter, it requires empathy because it requires getting into Lecter's head. Mm-hmm. Like um, getting into his the mindset of how he's thinking. Um, I don't think it comes from reading like uh, textbooks about um, sociopaths and and stuff like that. I think it's just pay attention to the real world. Welcome to the Modern Author Podcast. Your host, Eric Custer. Eric Custer. Make progress every day. From someone who is as prolific of a creator as Jason Starr, it seems probably pretty obvious. Uh, Jason is uh, the the author uh, of numerous novels and comics and sort of uh, books that you may have seen out there. He wrote the Gotham book uh, based on the television show. He's written comics, Casual Fling, and and other books including Hard Feelings. Uh, He is as prolific as they come. But what was interesting about hearing his insights is that you have to just make progress every day. Some days that's words, some days that's thinking, some days that's, again, planning and designing, other days that's editing. But making progress every day is the right mindset to have. And I I think it's powerful when you understand some of the insights of people like Teresa Mabali at Harvard, where she says the single greatest factor that we know that fits into the positive mindset of our work or work that we're doing is that we feel like we're making progress. And certainly Jason uh, shared a lot about it. He is a gritty New York City writer, uh, shares a lot about his love of the city and why he writes stories about that city and really how much he's enjoyed being able to jump across mediums. He's written in the thriller and the horror genre. He's written in kind of the crime genre. He's written in comics and graphic novels and really everything in between. Plus, we talk a little bit about what it's like to work on some incredible things like Ant-Man and the Marvel Universe and Gotham and Batman and the DC Universe. As a fanboy myself, it's kind of hard to not fall in love with that a little bit. But I think what Jason shares is that you just want to always find those ways to keep creating, even when it gets tough. And I think that was what I loved, is that this idea of remembering that progress is not necessarily always word count. It's not that you wrote 500 words today, but it's that you did other things that helped you keep making that progress, whatever that might be. And if you find yourself in the mindset of being stuck on the writing or stuck on the creating, do something else. But every day, look in the mirror and say, did I make some progress? Jason Starr uh, is an incredible writer's writer uh, that you'll love to hear about. He also talks about what it's like to deal with rejection, what it's like to sort of work in an industry where people say, this was isn't, isn't what we want, we want to see you iterate, and how today he's seeing more and more of the fruits of his work uh, across different mediums impact more people. Jason Starr, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and glad, excited for you to have the conversation. Remember, make progress, but maybe not the progress you thought you were going to make today. So what part of the world are you in these days? Are you in New York? Um, yeah, I'm in New York. Yeah. And so is it this, I have a bunch of friends there, this, this meme about it being a ghost town. Are you seeing said ghost town um, these days? In, in certain neighborhoods, it depends where you are. Definitely in town. One day, it was probably about 5.30 on a weekday, and I was near uh, MoMA, walking down the block where Studio 54 is. Mm-hmm. And usually it's completely packed at that time. It would be mm-hmm. shower, people at bars. I was the only one on the block. Really? Yeah, that was about a month ago. 
That's yeah, so Midtown is, and at night, it's really much different. But yeah. the neighborhoods, I would say, not so much. The Upper East Side, Upper West Side, those seem, except for the social distancing, it's pretty normal. Yeah, it's the same. So, you know, I'm in D.C., not obviously New York, but in terms of like being around the places that are usually vibrant and full, it just, it feels like empty. People are not leaving or moving away, but it just feels like people are like, yeah, I'm just probably not going to be around this group where there's lots of other humans around. (laughs) Yeah, it's just tourists and and people just not being in offices. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for I've always worked from home, so I have like little kids, and I've always worked from here mostly. For me, it was like this is great. Now I'm just continuing to I get <laughs> doing what I've always been doing. Do you write at home? Is that kind of your location generally? Your home office, or do you have an office? Or usually at home, but also I would say at least half the time at coffee bars. That's a big that's a big thing that's changed for me that I can, mm. uh, can't do as much writing outside of the apartment as I used to. So yeah, definitely at change in the routine. I'm used to all that noise around me. <laughs> it's good. You're, you're not one of those people who needs like so- silent noise, noise headphones. You just go with uh, it around you. I'm just used to it. Yeah. If there's a specific conversation going on right next to me, that's very, that could be distracting because I'm mm-hmm. sort of listening to it. I'm more interested in that sometimes than what I'm writing. But, the, but as long as it's like white noise, I prefer it. And yeah. it makes it like I'm going somewhere. Hmm. Sorry, getting up and... and going to another location. I, I think that could be motivating. Do you ever, there's, I found this, I remember, so I've not written much fiction in my life, but it's interesting. I, I talked to an author before who was describing that when they go back and read their stuff, that they can remember where they were writing it by how it wrote. Can you ever go back to your writing and be like, oh, I was in this particular coffee bar, this particular <laughs> shop as you were doing it? Like a little bit like a almost famous. I remember the soundtrack that was going on then. Almost the opposite. I don't even remember... Writing it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is a... <laughs> sometimes I think it's pretty good or sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm like, I just don't, I just don't remember. Mm. Like, uh, actually writing the volume of, of work. I think it's like when you go to the, the gym, it's just accumulative. Like, you don't, you're not aware of that one day you worked out in order to, you know, get the muscles you wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't, like look at it that specifically. So I, I just see the big picture. Like right. I finished this book in <laughs> 1998, but I don't know how I did it. How I got there, it was, uh, it's, <laughs> right, it's, it's right. like that scene in, what was that movie where I just blanked out? It was Adam Sandler, the movie that Billy Madison blacked out the whole thing that like, right. happened and here you are with like 40 novels later, it just, just happened. So I totally get it. And I think this is the first time I might've ever, you might've ever been asked this one. I'm going to guess from what I saw. Wow. Okay. I'm ready I've for got, this. As a comic book guy, everyone seems to ask you, who's your favorite superhero? So I know for everyone watching here, I think Spider-Man is the one that you said a few times in interviews, <laughs> right? So I have three daughters. And so I have tried to indoctrinate them into the superhero world, but they only love girl superheroes. So the big question for you is, Female superhero. Who is your favorite female superhero or superheroes that you dig the most? Because that's the one that I want to know. Because my daughters are going to be like, oh, like they're not going to care that you like Spider Man. They don't dig Spider Man. They like Gwen Tracy, those ones. So, female superheroes, who do you dig? It's going to be totally stereotypical to say Wonder Woman. And I don't think so. I think uh, there's a lot of, I think Wonder Woman's pretty awesome. I, I was on, the, I was on um, Brett Easton Ellis' podcast and he asked me my favorite Eagles song. And I said, take it. <laughs> totally not impressed. <laughs> you know, if I go with the the one that's expected. But yeah, no, growing up, definitely Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. 
Superman fan. And I always say Spider-Man because that's like when I was growing up, I read mm-hmm. a lot of Spider-Man. But maybe as an adult, uh, Wolverine or the Punisher would be my favorite. The, the characters that have a code and they're mm-hmm. um, gray and not necessarily uh, good or evil. Or yeah, that grit to them a little bit. Yeah, have a little gray in them. Yeah. Do you now, now that you're you're in this world here, you're writing books with the, the cinematic universe now. Does it? Do you ever have that like, pinch me moment, like when you're like out there and engaging in some of these worlds at all? Is there ever like a moment that you were like, "Wow, I can't believe my career is taking me to this point." Yeah. No. Definitely. Because growing up, like I imagined, I, this I do remember. Like I might not remember writing a specific book, but I remember fantasizing with, particularly with one friend of mine, about having writing comic books and having them in stores and. We started writing one uh, together, like with this horrible art, and we were totally convinced that we we're going to somehow get it printed and it's going to be sold in stores. So, yeah, sometimes I think the 11 year old version of me would be super excited. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is exciting. The first time I had something published by Marvel or DC was a little surreal. Yeah. Or a couple of comics that involved Batman. And uh, yeah, just when you just start writing dialogue for Batman, it's slightly surreal. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And when, you know, you've been, you've been writing in this broadly, I think it's described kind of this crime-ish genre a little bit that you've been doing for a while that ties some of these pieces together. Has it been interesting to you to see how there's become this fascination with it? We see all this fascination with true crime shows. We see all of the crime-related stuff, even in the, the comic book world. How have you seen that, like, as you've been writing for the last decades, become front and center? How is that for you to see this become so popularized? I think it's interesting that on cable uh, and streaming, crime has become almost more mainstream than I think it was. Mystery was certainly right. mainstream with the CSI shows and Law and Order, et cetera. But I think the dark, edgy crime shows, starting like with Breaking Bad, maybe, and mm-hmm. Dexter time, mm-hmm. it just became almost like a selling point to have something dark and edgy and something that's very commercial for uh, cable TV in particular, as opposed to the book world where it's still considered somewhat of a subgenre. <laughs> yeah. Really become like <laughs> as mainstream as it is in cable and, and in comics. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so that's one reason I, I'm writing comics is because I just find what I naturally do is a little bit more mainstream in, mm-hmm. in comics than in books. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I've always felt like a little bit uh, marginalized, mm-hmm. uh, writing noir, or crime fiction, and edgy. And I think there's a particular audience in general for mystery novels. And it might be people who just don't have the um, sensibility for books that might disturb them in, mm-hmm. in ways. And they want like a, the happy ending and a, right. uh, and a uh, character that they could imagine being friends with, who for me is not necessarily the most interesting character sometimes. Right. <laughs> sometimes they aren't but in in cable it's different or, or on tv i find it fascinating like the same people who might have these sorts of complaints about books they're reading if you just read people are saying on goodreads or in chat rooms then you see the way they're commenting about a really dark scene in game of thrones like right. wait a minute like i thought you that's too gory for you like, yeah. so i don't fully get it mm-hmm. it's just like a in strange phenomenon actually i'm waiting for it to like catch up in the book world but <laughs> <laughs> You're, you've always been ahead and now someday <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
It's awesome. A lot of the folks that are that are watching this or are going to be watching this are folks who are you know at the start of their journey. You're now you're you're I would call it capital writer with a capital W, but you've always been a writer with a lowercase W. Take us through a little bit of that early times. And I think there was a woman Sonia was talking about. She put a question there about telemarketer <laughs> early on in life. What was that process of going from a writer with a W, lowercase W, to a writer with a capital W, and how did that play out for you early on? I always, I mean, since college, like I wanted to write and I just, it was a matter of like how I was going to figure out how to make money or make, make a living doing it. So yeah, I had a lot of jobs, some in publishing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was actually, the only job I was ever fired from was St. Martin's Press, (laughs) which ultimately published a few of my books, but I was fired for reading. They always said like get caught reading, but I was caught and I was fired. But so that was, yeah, but I had like survival jobs, I guess I'd call them. Mm-hmm. Jobs where I could work part-time and mm-hmm. have to write or sales, like working in telemarketing was perfect for that. And mm-hmm. I've said this before in some interviews, but I think telemarketing in particular really sets you up for rejection. Mm-hmm. It's a successful day if you make a hundred calls and you get a couple of yeses. And that mentality is what you need in to make it as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what level you're at, because there's always a question whether you're just starting out or you're I'm sure Stephen King, maybe not Stephen King, but everybody except Stephen King has to experience a, a lot of micro uh, rejections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get um, your book is set up. You get so, you got such a big advance that your publisher is depending on that big review in the New York Times, and if it doesn't come, like it's a blow to you of your career. But starting out, I think a lot of writers get discouraged and handle the, the reality of just getting turned down and you can't emotionally attached to what you're um it requires a lot of emotion to write something so it's uh, something that requires a lot of emotional investment to get it done but then you have to uh let go of it so i think early on it, it was getting used to that reality that you that writing is a gradual loss of control as you're writing something the writer's in complete control, especially if it's a book and it's not right. sort of, you know, like a comic, for example. But if you're writing a novel, you're in complete control. If you didn't tell, if you're not talking to your friends about it, which I'm against doing, I'm a fan of keeping it in your head. Mm-hmm. If you have all that energy inside you, you're in total control of your characters and mm-hmm. where the story is going. And then as soon as you start um, releasing it to the world, giving it to agents, will start rejecting you, have a pile of sections you know for my first book mm-hmm. um, the editors then editors reject you and then you the reviewers and it just goes fans and then you start <laughs> when the book, <laughs> everyone has their opinions and yep. you're doing great if 70 percent or 75 percent of readers like your book you're doing mm-hmm. great. there's going to be 20 percent you know 25 percent that are blasting you mm-hmm. and you have to really have a thick skin mm-hmm. but i think Part of that, it was definitely getting used to that aspect. But creatively, it was getting into the routine of writing. Mm-hmm. I had jobs, those part-time jobs that always gave me time to write at part of the day. If you have a full-time job, like there are people who write during their commute. You mm-hmm. just have that at least an hour that you're... But, but it has to be consistent, I think. Mm-hmm. Because you really have to get into that mindset of producing work every day. It's not really about, you have to have that fantasy of what's going to happen when you finish the, the book. Right, right. Writing every day. Yeah, the fantasy of me seeing my comic book in, in stores as a kid. But mm-hmm. um, now it's just like a vision of it being published mm-hmm. and 
how it's going to be published and what publisher and what the next book after that. Like you have that plan in the back of your head, but mm-hmm. you still have to produce every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was getting into those um, habits. And, and one of the telemarketing jobs I had, I remember there was an incentive that if you got uh, three sales, you could leave for the day. So I was like my hottest prospects <laughs> and so that I can go off and write. So sometimes I was there for an hour. Yep. And I went off and I, and I did the writing. Yeah, so to do all of that, I think you have to have a, I think the last ingredient is the, the passion mm-hmm. for wanting to do it. Because mm-hmm. um, you're not going to be able to get into a regimented routine of something unless you have a real passion for it. Mm-hmm. If you want to work out and get in shape, you have to put that hour or two hours every day to do it. And it's not going to happen otherwise. So you have to really make that commitment to it and... And then, yeah, I think the ta- I actually think the talent is a, an important component. Mm-hmm. Component. I know many talented people who just didn't have those qualities I just talked about, who didn't make it. There are people in my creative writing class who were great writers. I think at Binghamton, where I went to school, some great writers in those classes, but they never continued. Yeah. You know? I think yeah. uh, so. I think there's something that makes some people continue. Mm-hmm. And Talent is just an assumption. Like it's an assumption that unless you do have talent, you're not going to really have that drive. You're not going to have those fantasies of success that motivate you and all those components to do it. So. Mm-hmm. And you clearly, clearly love to write, right? I had to scroll like twice down your Wikipedia page to find all the things you've written here. Do you? Does it? Is it like? Is there something that you do? that kind of puts you through that grind period? Because there is just a grind to any book, right? Where you get tired of this thing. Do you have any things that you do to keep yourself moving through it from the first, you know, it's like the first dates. They're always nice. And then it gets like harder and harder to go. <laughs> What's your style when you hit those sort of walls along the way? It has to be fun. The, the main thing is I feel like when I really have a good writing day, I feel like it was fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed being, even if the character is dark and disturbing, like I enjoyed writing. <laughs> those lines there was some enjoyment if it wasn't fun it'd be really hard to be motivated to do it i co-wrote a couple of four novels with ken bruin an irish writer and those were just like pure fun like we were just having fun it was really easy to write like it didn't even seem like work at all so i think part of it is that but part of it i think it's fun it's entertainment for myself but it's also like a form of therapy mm-hmm. like i working out like if you, some days I could be really anxious about something going on in my life and I have a really good writing day and like meditation you're like in that zone and it relaxes you and all of that also is becomes a routine mm-hmm. as then you start using that like maybe it's like dysfunctional <laughs> escapism good and this is why a lot of writers you know have or screwed up in some ways but I think that is a way to write a lot of uh, books, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because you're working out stuff on the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Having the so a lot of anxiety goes into it, a lot of fun goes into it, and just a lot of emotional energy. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, making money is a drive to <laughs> to do. I think one reason I have written a lot of books is because I've been under pressure at times to get the next deal and. Mm-hmm come up with a new idea, something that I haven't done before. That's why one reason I've written a lot of standalone books, because mm-hmm. like it's easier to reinvent yourself. Okay, this mm-hmm. is going to be even bigger than the last one because 
It's different kind of different, completely different story. And this is so commercial. It could be a movie. Yes, yeah, so it's reinventing things as you go along. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And and for you, a lot of the things whenever I read any of your stuff, you really have these characters that feel like real people. Like it, it's there's a connection to them. It, it feels is this a real person at times? Do you have like a style that you go through when you're developing characters or even when you're adapting characters that are, you know, well known, some of the 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 comic characters, is there a style that you do before you start to write or as you're writing to develop them? It's interesting because it is different with the existing characters. Right, right. I mean, so, with, so with existing characters, it's a matter of researching them, which isn't as hard as it sounds. Like if you told me today that next week I have to write a proposal for a comic book character I knew nothing about, mm-hmm. I mean, basically I would do what anybody would do. You go to Wikipedia, you read, mm-hmm. a, you read about the character, you read a few comics from different periods, you get a sense of the voice, the attitude of the character, and and then for me, then I just start to to, to do it, but that's yep. different than, much different than I'm creating my own characters. Mm-hmm. My own characters, I think it, I do like to write, obviously, if you look at the books I've written, real world situations, right. uh, ordinary people in extraordinary, you know, circumstances. Partly because I think it's just a way to hopefully hook readers in, mm-hmm. uh, make them identify with the situation. Maybe you wouldn't make the same decisions that character makes, but you could certainly identify with someone who is in, in a bad relationship or mm-hmm. something happened at work. Everyone's been in those sorts of situations. So you could at least, uh, there's a built-in familiarity to the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just stylistically, I just, I'm not, this is something like a lot of writers have a completely different technique than I do, but I'm not a f- big fan of doing a lot of research in advance for a particular project. I like to do my research when I'm done. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll make it up even as I go along. I don't want to stop writing to start researching something. Hmm. So, so for that reason, I also usually write about something I know really well. Like mm-hmm. uh, in, in my book, Twisted City, for example, the character worked at like a financial magazine and I'd worked at many financial magazines. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, didn't, I didn't have to uh, <laughs> research anything to start yeah. that. Uh, Cold Caller, the first book was about telemarketing. which mm-hmm. I, So in some way or another, Lights Out was about someone who rivalry between two, two guys who grew up in Brooklyn and they both want to be baseball players, professional baseball players. They have that dream. And one of them is his career is cut short. He blows out his elbow in mm-hmm. high school becomes a house painter and the other guy goes on to basically become Derek Jeter. And now hmm. it's how that, that set up the dynamic growing up. I wanted to be a baseball player. So, right. so yeah, right. there's what you know, right. <laughs> so when people say, are you basing books on myself? Um, usually in some sort of judgmental way, like of saying, are you as crazy as your characters? Usually the, the truth is that there's a, uh, the situation is something that's similar to my life. And then I just let it go in other weird directions. But yeah, so that's why I think I, I have characters that are familiar uh, yeah. for me. And yeah, like I will research things after. Even if I was writing a doctor having to do a certain operation, I would just make up how to do it and then, and then go the back. And, <laughs> you know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I just cut some open. But then uh, go back and make it right after. I try to get the details afterwards or like yeah. a ballistics thing, like about it, like how a gun. I don't want to start doing gun research while I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, some writers completely different. They want to go yeah. in a 
tax deductible research trip before they uh, <laughs> uh, write the book. Hey, I think I'll set it in Belize. I'll just go on this trip. I haven't done that, but uh, maybe I should. Maybe I'm missing out. This might be the move here, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So is it, you've had the chance to work in different genres within the, right. you know, sort of the, obviously was writing novels is multiple of those. And then also on the graphic novel comic side of things, is there, as someone who's never played in that world at all, it's, I'm just curious, how do you like approach that kind of a project? Do you like, is there a different style that you sit down with? Do you have the story? Do you like draw it? Tell me about a graphic novel comic that sort of like how that process works for you. If it's comics, like I did the, this Wolverine series for mm-hmm. um, Wolverine Max for the 17 and up audience. So it can get yeah. very dark and edgy. That's different than when I'm coming up with an, an original idea, graphic novel, which I just had one out right now called Red Border. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Red Border, for example, it was this new company that's being, that was set up, AWA, upshot um, by the former execs at Marvel. And they wanted original ideas that could be potentially work in other media, like mm-hmm. film. So it required at first pitching like a line or two. Hmm. Uh, this was like a solicited thing because I'd worked with the editor right. uh, at Marvel, but a few lines just about like how you would like an elevator pitch almost mm-hmm. uh, of the story. Um, usually they just go down the list. That wasn't a good idea. <laughs> uh, but this, again, this is getting used to the rejection. Yeah. And then, then eventually hit on something that seems to resonate. Ideally, you get into a situation with an editor where there's a back and forth and you get mm-hmm. a sense of what they're looking for, what would work. And then it's just, you know, then it's a matter of spinning it out into a story. With that, like I was thinking initially about setting something on the border because I'm just interested in those mm-hmm. issues to begin with. But I wanted to write a, a thriller that takes place on the border that didn't, wasn't really like about the headlines news, but just in that setting. Yeah, it came, it was a matter of just like hitting on the right story. And then I would flesh it out. I would start to think of it then as like how... Is this a continuing series or is it just maybe four or five issues? So I start in my head thinking of like the plot point that would end that first issue. Hmm. As from writing comics, you get a sense of how many pages you'll need uh, Mm -hmm. to get a certain point. Yeah, so then I start thinking about, and the editor's thinking about it also, about how to break it into four, in this case, four issues, and then then fleshing out those four issues. So it's, yeah, it starts with a small concept, then you pump it up into a plot that could last, be a movie, basically. Yeah. And you think about like how these would break down into issues of uh, a comic. Different than if I was writing a book. If I was writing a novel, it's um, much less um, thinking about that space the way I am with comics. So I'd be mm-hmm. thinking about not only the, the issues, but the panels and what pages and how you're going to have cliffhangers on each page. When I'm thinking about a novel, you almost have endless space. It's not really a matter of getting the space to work. And, and it's for me, a novel is more about starting to write, actually write it. And really, this is important in comics too, but really understanding the attitude of the characters. Mm-hmm. And the, because I, I feel in general, like once I understand the attitude of a character, whether it's mm-hmm. a character that's existing, like in the Marvel universe or just one of my own, Characters, I know what they're going to do in any situation. If I had, once I know that the characters, I, I always think of it as their attitude. Like what, because they're going to behave in a situation um, differently than another person would, or that I would, or that you would. So they have their own attitude, their own code, their own. And then I think about what they want in the book. Right. Uh, what, what's the whole big goal of what they want. 
And this is generic things. Like screenwriters think about what the character wants and what the character fears. And the fears are the complications and the want is like the goal. But it is something I go back to all the time because it's very, it's a simple way. So once you have the the story that you want to tell, you have to figure out like what the character wants and what's the goal. Um, It's a romantic comedy. It's to get the relationship. Together, right? (laughs) <laughs> to get together, you know. If it's uh, a high story, it's to you know rob the money and go off to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Or um, but you have to tax deductible. There it sounds like that's right. I love it. I love it. So I guess I will a couple of questions here because I first off, thank you so much for spending time with us. I really do appreciate your time here a little bit. So as you approach the craft of writing here a little bit, and you look back on some of the things that you've learned a little bit along the way, what are some of the things now that you talk to emerging writers that are saying like, listen, I got to break in. I got to get stories down. You talked about earlier, like you just got to write is sort of part of what it is here a little bit. But what are some of the things that you would tell that kid graduating Binghamton back in the day to help him get through those rough periods? Are there things that you see today that more writers should be doing early on? One thing I wouldn't listen to anybody who tells you to write like a certain type of uh, book. Mm-hmm. I think in creative writing programs, many, not all, but many, it's just all about literary fiction, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But there's other types of fiction that are, I think, just as valuable and just as, and have just this, even perhaps even more career opportunity mm-hmm. that are like really explored fully. So I think I wouldn't let anyone tell you what to write. Um, and I would also just try to stay true to your, stay true to yourself, and not try to write. Also, not try to write a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, if like, if you have a passion to write like a certain type of story, and then you think it's not going to be uh, popular at the moment, I would just write it. I don't believe any of that. Mm-hmm. First of all, by the time you finish the book, <laughs> yeah, <it's> over. <laughs> that trend is over. So yeah. uh, that never works. But yeah, otherwise, the main thing, it really is to be, really get into that routine of uh, writing every day. Even if, you have, if you're in school and, or you have a full-time job, mm-hmm. um, even if it's just revising every day, mm-hmm. uh, if it's just looking at your book every day, if it's just um, out working on your outline mm-hmm. every day, you really have to keep your head, head in it every day. Otherwise, it's very hard to, you're going to get distracted by something mm-hmm. do that. So I would say just keep your head in it every single day. So good. I, you hear that everyone every day. You got to do that every day. So this is from Jason. He's done this a lot of times. So <laughs> the last question, then we're going to do something fun where we always have all the folks join on camera and take a, a selfie camera shot with you. So a lot of people here, the questions are asked. So Philip and Tiana and Cassandra all ask, you've been writing about sort of these anti-heroes, these sort of darker characters. You've got Batman and Punisher and you've got all these characters that have- well, I've done Ant-Man too. I've done Ant-Man. Ant-Man, I agree. agree. But you, you know, like, you know, Ant-Man feels like uh, the everyman sort of story. You've got- Although he is a, yeah, he is a- Grittier, uh, grimier- Criminal turned superhero. Yeah, exactly. These sort of, and there's, there's, there's things like that with Boys is out is another kind of anti-hero right. sort of stuff. So what is your sort of like advice to write tortured characters a little bit? People that aren't as pure as an Ant-Man, how do you make them so relatable and connectable because I think there's something powerful about it in that way. Two things. I think I think um, writing a the bad, the evil person in the story, the bad guy or the bad woman, is I think you're, well, one thing is that you're, I always think about what's missing from the person um, hmm. that gives the person that like sociopathic thing. So it's usually that the empathy is missing. If you want some inspiration, I would say, Aside from some of my books, check out like Patricia Highsmith's 
uh, Ripley novels. I think it's like the perfect example of like how to write an anti-hero, especially the talented Mr. Ripley, the first one. Mm-hmm. Because it's always about what's uh, missing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that's great. My biggest um, advice for that. Find what's missing and, and always understand that motivation and touch into your own own self a little bit here, which which I love it. Let's we're gonna. Oh, and, and it's also like the. Uh, it also takes empathy, I think, to write the the evil person in the story. Just as much as it takes empathy to write the nice person, it might be easy to find that empathy, but. To me, empathy is understanding the way a character works. You could have, in order to write Hannibal Lecter, it requires empathy because it requires getting into Lecter's head, Mm -hmm. like getting into his the mindset of how he's thinking. I don't think it comes from reading like textbooks about sociopaths and stuff like that. I think it's just pay attention to the real world. watch the news, watch our leaders, <laughs> and then see what, what's, what's missing. Mm-hmm. And then I think once you understand that, it's really that, atti- like it comes down to that, then you understand the attitude of that mm-hmm. and how that character is just going to behave in any situation. And then you can, I think that's what makes like a real mm-hmm. strong character, bad person. I love it. I love it. Cool. I'm super excited to have you. We're going to bring everyone on here to take a photo with you. I will tell you, if you're looking for a superhero to write about, my daughters who are 6'4 and 1, their favorite girl superhero, Squirrel Girl. You never knew there was a hero called Squirrel Girl. That is their favorite one. So if you're looking for the next one that's going to be in there, Squirrel Girl is their favorite. Okay. Okay. I'm not really sure what her superpower is, but for whatever reason, they just love having a little figure with a tail on coming out of her back. And Sounds like you can get out of tough situations. Exactly. So Squirrel Girl, is, she can talk to squirrels, and we have a lot of squirrels in our backyard, so it works together. Any last like words of wisdom? So I took the shots for folks I'll share with everyone. Any last words of wisdom for this crazy crew of folks working on books here and that you would send them off as they go forth and write and create amazing content that hopefully is in their comic book store one day or on screen and stage? I would just say, you know, you just keep doing it. You have to just keep, you have to keep writing and don't, definitely don't get uh, discouraged if you get rejections. I, this is what I always say about rejections though. If you hear the same, if you're in a creative writing class, you have a group of friends, you show something to your editors, or you're submitting a book. If you hear, like someone says, I don't like your character. Or, I didn't like the ending. I didn't like that. To me, it's all noise unless everyone's saying I don't like the end <laughs> problem with the car then it makes me think okay there's something wrong with the car because I'm hearing it from multiple people and it's not I wouldn't even listen so much to the specific note because that could get too much in your head but then approach it yourself I'm hearing from a lot of people that something's wrong with this with the ending of this book so I'm going to look at the ending and figure it out for myself what's wrong with it. I'm going to do a different version of it because obviously that version doesn't seem to be working. So I wouldn't get discouraged. If you just get discouraging feedback ever, never let that stop you. Now, if everyone tells you in unison your book sucks, then go on to the next book. And that's also another thing I always do. I always, you always have to start the next. As soon as you finish, I write the end. I'm immediately writing the next, the next book. It's not like vacation time like when you finish the book, immediately start the next book because then, again, you're not going to get discouraged. You're already into your next book. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes your second or third book becomes your first book that you sell. And then they say, do you have anything else? And then you have your first two books. So don't look at it as lost time or anything either, but you just have to keep going, keep producing 
work because to be a writer, you have to keep producing anyway. My advice. I love it. I also love the advice earlier of every day you should be doing something related to your book, whether it's writing something or touching it or whatever it is. And that's a good piece too that I find if you take breaks, whether they're long breaks or short breaks, it just reduces momentum. And writers got to write, writers got to touch it, writers got to make it happen. Yeah. So. Jason, thank you so much again. Round of applause yeah. and the web slinger move here for all of us. Congratulations <laughs> on the new book that's out as well. 